All right, I want to address a matter that's serious. It's a matter that God commands all pastors to address. I am called on to call you to be on guard against any and all false teaching, any practice, any spiritual experience that claims that it is superior or equal to that of God's revelation in his word. And what I want to do this morning is have you to listen to God say you need to be on guard from his word today. We hear that from the Apostle Paul as he calls every Christian in every age in Colossians 2, 1 to 8, to be on guard against anything that assaults the word of truth and the work of Christ. So let's turn there, Colossians 2, and let's listen as I read verses 1 to 8. He says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of notice, understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, now that's that's an astounding statement. He says, I want you to know something. I, I love you and I want you to be full of what you need spiritually. I want you to be full of understanding and knowledge about Christ. Where does that come from? It comes from God's word, God's revelation, not from experience, not from religious activities. Look what he says in verse four. Here's why I, he says this. I, I say this in order that no one may delude you. With plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith, your understanding in Christ, your trust in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught Abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary or elemental spirits or principles of the world and not according to Christ. See, he says this very important statement in in verse six that needs to be emphasized at this point. As you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, not according down here in verse eight to the empty deceit of human traditions or the elemental spirits of the world. But as you received him and how did they receive him? Well, if you read chapter one, you would know they received Christ through the faithful preaching and teaching of the Apostle Paul, preaching and teaching God's word. Teaching about Jesus as supreme, as the king, the prototokos, the firstborn, the one who is the protector, the creator, the sustainer, the savior. He gave them objective truth to be their standard, to guide them in their spiritual growth. He says, but watch out for those who come along and try to do otherwise. They'll try to delude you. They will try to take you captive. These are very serious terms in the Apostle Paul's mind. He's saying these are dangerous people, dangerous deceivers. 
But be aware, they're in the church. If you read chapter 2 or chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, you'll see the same thing. They, they hold to a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They're in the church. This is a warning to the church. You need to be on guard. We need to be on guard as your pastors. It's a warning to the church about false teachers there in Colossae in particular in this context. And those false teachers were, were trying to basically teach that if you wanted, see if this sounds familiar, if you want to be spiritual, if you want to be complete, if you want to find fulfillment and maturity in the Christian walk and true salvation, you have to follow our rules and regulations. You have to follow our spiritual insights and revelations if you're going to be a truly spiritual Christian. That sounds like the front page of most charismatic newspapers today. Saints, we, we need to be really aware of what's going on around us in the world that we live in. Sometimes we're sheltered as Reformed people, but not so much these days. It's starting to ooze in and creep into the cracks. Things haven't changed much at all when it comes to the nature of false teachers and what they do. Today, there is an abundance of false teachers still at work in present evangelicalism, if you want to put it that way. There are many men and, sadly, women who see the church as a means of personal gain or the church as a political tool or they see the church as a way to make social changes or worse than that even, they see the church as a platform for fame, prestige, influence. Now, when you think about false teachers, we don't know their motives. We don't know their hearts, but we see their fruit. And the fruit gets down to the root. And when we get to see the root, you begin to see there is something, something evil going on at the heart of every false teacher. False teachers of all types and stripes... From, we'll say, the rank heretic to those who are just simply compromising the truth. They are all either driven indirectly by unregenerate greed, pride, selfishness, self-praise. Or they are driven directly by the power of Satan and his influence through other false teachers upon their lives. It's an age-old tactic that Satan has employed Go with me to Second Peter real quick. We're going to do a lot of cross-referencing. So just keep your Bibles open and ready. Second Peter chapter 2. Begin reading at verse 1. And notice that this tactic, this ploy of our enemy working directly and indirectly through those who influence those in the church has been going on since the very beginning, even since the Old Testament. Verse 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there, as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, these are guys who come across as if, as if they are Christians. But he's saying, watch out for these guys. They're actually, by their actions, denying that Jesus is Lord and master of their life. And then notice verse 2. Here's the sad part. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, 
They will exploit you with false words. They'll flatter you. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. He's comforting the saints here. And their destruction is not asleep. Because he goes on to say that if God didn't spare these angels who rebelled against him, how is he going to treat those who are in his church claiming to speak for him today? His judgment is coming upon them. And we need to be aware of their nature and what drives them. Again, either directly or indirectly. At the core, it's sin. At the core, it may be Satan. Either one needs to tell us that we don't need to listen to them. They do not have the mind of Christ. And I believe that it's really important that we get this today. And it's really important that that Ronnie taught what he taught Wednesday, that Paul's teaching what he's teaching during the equipping hour, because I believe that the greatest threat to the church today is not from without, but from within. Islam is not our greatest threat, though it's evil. Cults of all stripes are not our greatest threat. The greatest threat in the church today is the absence of biblical discernment among God's people. That's the problem. That's where it's going to erode the truth from the inside out and do damage to those who are God's people and to those who are being deceived, who are lost in their sins with no hope of coming out. We see errors it's so sickening. And I, I feel Paul's frustration this morning. We, we see errors flooding into the church at an unprecedented rate on every front. And they come in through these benign sources, it seems. Christian bookstores, Christian radio, Christian music, Christian TV. They come in through so-called Christian leaders and Christian books. That basically encourage people that if you want to to look deeper into your life and you want to grow deeper in your Christian life, then you need to have these subjective spiritual experiences, not just rely on that cold, dead book, the word. You need something more than the word. You need you need a living, active kind of life. Spiritual experience is the thing that's going to really comfort you. The word is dead. It's it's not able to really do what these experiences that take you outside the book can do. We see it come through that. And it's sad. That seems extreme. And it seems like we would see that with a red flag on it and say that's dangerous. But as Paul pointed out this morning, it's coming into the church under a new guise, a little more subtle. Jude talks about those who would creep in unnoticed. And Peter talks about it, too. Peter's saying, look out for these guys, they're coming. Jude says, they're here in my lifetime. And saints, they're here in our lifetime. Error can also come in through, as we look at Scripture and see in the life of Christ, error can come in many times through compromising spiritual leaders, and we see that even today. Those who are influential in Christianity. It can come in through those influential compromisers and who are basically seeking to gain cultural influence. And all you have to do to get that is shave off the hard edges of the word of truth. That's all it takes. But they do that so that they can bow to the culture, bow to the system of the world and think they can gain more influence. But church, we do not fight with the weapons of this world. We fight with spiritual weapons. We tear down ideologies. 
We speak against false philosophies and we let the word of God defeat those enemies of the culture, those enemies in the culture and the sin that so besets all of us. It's the word of God that has influence that does the work. We don't need to compromise something to achieve something by human effort. Those are a couple of ways that error comes into the church like a flood. There's also another way that error comes in, not so much like a flood, but more like a, a slow leak, a slow leak. Roman Catholicism is a good example of this. Error can come into the church slowly, creeping in over time when leaders, when pastors let their religious traditions trump and direct what they preach rather than actually preaching the word and letting it direct the Christian's life and actions. Those are all compromises. Those are all the effects of men who are not holding fast to the word of truth. These errors abound today. And what drives me insane and breaks my heart is that these errors exist and they don't have to. Not in professing evangelicalism. We have more Bibles, more resources, more access to knowledge about God's word than at any other time in history. But these errors flood in today because it's easier to watch it on YouTube than to dig it out ourselves and test it by the word of truth. And sadly, many Christians and many churches have neglected to do that to their to their own detriment. They've neglected the objective standard of God's holy, inerrant, all-sufficient, inspired word in order that they, they could find some sort of presence or courtship with the world's favor or either pursue some sort of personal comfort, but they do it at the expense of the truth. Be on guard against those kinds of things. Be on guard against that kind of natural bent in our nature to have the world's presence in our life and prestige in our life. I'm glad that when we come to the word of God, we have this warning to be on guard. I'm glad that God gives us many warnings and teaches us what we need to know about how to be on guard. One of the primary ways we know how to be on guard and we're called to be on guard is to do simply what the Apostle Paul told Timothy to do faithfully in season and out in Second Timothy four, verse one, the Apostle writes, I charge you, I commission you, I command you, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove with the word, rebuke with the word, exhort with the word, he says, do it all with complete patience and teaching. And he tells us why we must be grounded upon the word of truth being proclaimed. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. And wander off into myths. Wandering off into myths. That's where we're at in today's Christianity. Chasing myths and leaving the object of truth behind. Thinking we're going to gain some sort of spiritual ground this way. Some sort of spiritual experience that will actually supplement the word of truth. Listen, there's nothing more spiritual than knowing the Bible. 
resting in, focusing on, rejoicing in, feasting on God speaking directly to you without any doubt. That is the most spiritual thing we can experience as Christians, this side of glory. We have that before us in the written word of God. We need no other revelations. And I will submit this, that all of the revelations are false teaching. The apostle Paul doesn't just talk about it in Second Timothy. He, he speaks of the warnings that he gives in almost all his epistles. He warns against danger and deception that false teaching brings in like a flood. And, and let me reiterate what Paul said earlier, not the apostle, but the teacher this morning. Paul, Paul said something very key to what I was going to focus on today. And I believe that that is just God's will. As we see it in his word, it's plain and clear. Men of God, that is pastors, elders, leaders, they are called on by God to proclaim these warnings in the word of God in order to protect Christ's people, his church, protect his church and to honor his name. That's why we are called on to do this. And that's why we must do this. If we do not do this, we will give an account. And if we do not protect Christ's church, they're going to suffer heartache, misery and weakness because of the false teaching that we let in. It is on us. That's why I come to you with fear and trembling this morning. I was up at 4 a.m. with about three hours of sleep beforehand. And the message will probably reflect that. But this has been on my heart for days. Tuesday, I think I begin to think about it, pray about it. This is a serious, serious matter that we must consider this morning. This is not something we we slightly look at and think, yeah, there's a lot of warnings. No, we must take them the way that God, the Holy Spirit gave them as dire warnings. And men of God are called on to warn the people of God about these things. And what's really sad today, and this is the most heartbreaking and infuriating part of it for me and for all your elders. The very men that are to be guarding the church, protecting Christ's bride. They're the ones who are caving in to the culture, to society, to theories, to movements of all types. And it's getting hard to find men who love Jesus enough and his word and his people enough to proclaim the truth in season and out of season when it's popular and when it's not. And let me tell you why it's getting hard to find men like that. It's getting hard to find men like that because when those faithful men do speak out, do preach the truth, do preach the word faithfully in season and out, out of season, those faithful men are the very ones marked out by people in the church as divisive. They're the ones causing the problems. We had all this peace and prosperity and unity over here until this guy read the Bible. You messed up my whole paradigm. This is horrible. Let's go back to what we're doing. I don't like this. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to scratch their itching ears. Paul would have been considered divisive. So I think that... Uh, Today, when men of God speak the truth and are called divisive, are called problem makers, I think they need to recognize that they're in pretty good company. Not only did the Apostle Paul 
uh, speak the truth and warn people about error, the Lord Jesus Christ did so as well. I'll look at a passage later to show you that and show you what he said and how kind his demeanor was when he said it. And I'm being sarcastic. It was not kind. He loved his people enough to speak the truth and speak it out of righteous indignation. You need to understand something that by today's standards, anyone who speaks the truth about what God says in his written revelation will be considered divisive. And if you're going to profess Christ and do it faithfully as a Christian, whether you're a spiritual leader or not, you're going to face affliction, persecution. I want you to understand something, though. When you're accused of being divisive, you need to understand, listen, church, God's truth does not divide the body of Christ. False teaching does. False teaching does. We have the word of truth to guide us and to guard us against such things. And that's why, again, true pastors must sound the alarm and speak the truth in love, in love for Jesus and in love for his people. Warning against false teachers is the work of every true and faithful under shepherd of Christ. If you don't do that, you're just not a pastor. You're not a pastor. You're not an under shepherd. The Apostle Paul was a, a faithful minister of God. And you can hear that in the way that he exposes error. And he's revealing the love of a true pastor when he does so. Not only here in Acts 2.8, but also in Acts, or in Colossians 2.8, but also in Acts 20, 28. Listen to this. This is the heart of a true pastor. He's, he's revealing that there's going to be problems in the future, but he's preparing these people to face them. And it's the most loving thing he could do is to speak the truth in love. Love for Jesus and love for his people. You know, Paul said something a few moments ago. Teacher Paul said something a few moments ago about those who are swept into these movements, not the teachers of the movements. You know, we do pray that we can serve those people who are swept into the movements. But I do pray a specific prayer for those who are perpetuating the movements. Lord, shut them up or shut them down. They need to be shut up. And I'll show you that's an inspired statement in a few moments. But first, here's why they need to be shut up. And this is the most loving thing he can say. He says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer, bishop, elder, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And here's why he says that. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. It's a word that we get heresy from. To move out of its position, to twist out. They do these, they give these twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's a greedy, deceptive nature that they express. Therefore, be alert. I'm warning you, he says, be on guard, remembering for th that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This is love and affection for the people of God. And now I commend you to the to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to God's word. That's how you're going to confront the error. That's how you're going to be protected from false teachers who come into the church. 
You'll discern who they are from afar. You'll be able to expose them and protect the people of God from them. That's what the Apostle Paul does here, and he does it out of love for Jesus and love for his people. I just I'm so sick of this culture that we live in. If you say something mean, a statement that's mean sounding, you're considered the most awful person that's ever lived on the planet. You and Adolf Hitler are together. Just because you say something someone doesn't like and it hurt their feelings. They need to get over it. God declares that we are sinners, foul rebels in his sight. But God in mercy sent his son to take our place, receive our penalty to save us. Not because of our worth, but because of our neediness. So people should lighten up on their touchy feelings. They need to understand something. We are in need of biblical correction all the time as Christians. We need biblical instructions. Church, that is the only way there will be unity in the church. Biblical instructions and corrections uh, can, you know, must be there. Without them, there can be no unity in the church. That's why error must be confronted. Not because you're mad or mean, because it is dangerous to biblical unity. That's what Paul's saying in Colossians 2.8. Go back there. Let's see if we can focus on that for a moment. Colossians 2.8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. The word and there could be translated even empty deceits. And that's just describing the next two categories that he's going to give human tradition and elemental spirits of the world. See that no one takes you captive by philosophy, even empty deceit. And that passage, Paul's giving a serious warning about the danger of false teaching and its nature. He says, look. Be on guard because this false teaching will will deceive your minds and discourage your souls if it's left unchecked. It could be translated, be on guard because false teaching will entrap and ensnare and carry you off into the vain and empty deceit of vain philosophies, empty philosophies. Philosophies that make you think that you, in your power, through your experience, through your works, must complete in the flesh what God started in the spirit by his grace. It's an insipient, an insipient philosophy that's at the heart of every person's soul. And all you need is a little fuel to get it stirred back up again. And that's what the false teachings and the philosophies will contribute to. But he says it's a vain and empty deceit. When Paul uses the term philosophy, it's not typically the way we would use the word philosophy today. He's not simply talking about the love of wisdom. When he uses this term philosophy here, he's defining any system of thought or moral discipline that leads us away from resting in God's word and Christ's finished work. That's the context of chapter two. In context, he's describing the nature of any philosophy that's based on a supernatural, mystical, spiritual experience that adds to or contributes to the word of God or any extra biblical rules and regulations that are necessary to make you a better Christian, to make you a full and spiritual one. He's saying, look out for those kinds of things because they're vain and they're empty. They're empty and they're deceitful. 
any kind of teaching, any type of teaching, any type of experience or system that calls for you to find your spiritual fulfillment in something other than God's word and Christ's work, your spiritual growth or spiritual rest in anything else but the directions of God's word and the work of Jesus Christ, beware of them. Be on guard because they're empty. And they'll carry you away into doubt, discouragement, deceit. They'll deceive your minds. They'll discourage your hearts. If you're born again, if you're not born again, they may damn your souls. You may think that this is the way you find salvation. But look, Christians, you can be deceived. Yes, the Holy Spirit works in you. Christ said he would sanctify us in the truth and his word is truth. But if you're not taking the right intake of word of truth compared to what you're being influenced by in the world around you, you got problems. You're going to be deceived. The way you think is going to affect the way you walk. And you're going to be discouraged. So Paul's saying, be on guard against these guys. Because ultimately, you know what they're doing? Ultimately, false teachers are attacking both the sufficiency of God's word to change, conform, transform our thinking and actions. And they're attacking the sufficiency of the power of Christ atoning work. It's not enough. It's got to be Jesus plus this experience. Jesus plus these rules. Though the word of God says Jesus is enough. Christ alone has provided us all that we need. And in his word, we are told we have all that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. So let me let me stay. This is all introduction, by the way. I'm not even to the text. Let me state why I want to address this. I want to address this because it's, it's key and it's important to your Christian health and protection and for the, the sake of those that you love that are lost and in this kind of a spiritual quagmire. Listen, if if God has spoken, and he has in his word, written word, if if God has spoken in his word and says to us that you have all the instructions and all the promises that you need granted to you through the knowledge of Christ's sacrificial work and his written word, his holy, inspired, infallible, all-sufficient word, the Bible, then you do not need mystical experiences to validate the Bible or Christ's work. You do not need more human traditions to strengthen Christ's work or the Bible's sufficient power to direct your life. You do not need extra biblical revelations to reinforce what the Bible says clearly. You do not need, you're not going to like any of these, I'm sorry, some of these are going to be personal. You do not need psychology to supplement the truth and wisdom of God that's revealed in his word in Christ. You do not need cultural or societal theories to refine the truth about God's word, especially when it relates to male and female roles or even racial distinctions. You need the word of God. That's what tears down false thinking. Racism. And arrogance and pride. We need only the word of God because false teaching and the false teachers cannot do what the word of God alone can do. They can only deceive and discourage us because they are all broken cisterns. It was the same in the prophet Jeremiah's day. Go to Jeremiah chapter two. 
the false prophets and their false prophecies could never do what was promised of them. They could not give life to those who partook of them. They were broken cisterns. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12. This is a great parallel to what the Apostle Paul is warning against in the New Testament and what we need to be on guard against. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have spoken or they have forsaken They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That is what all those systems I just described are. Mystical experience, broken cistern. Human traditions, broken cistern. Extra biblical revelations, a broken cistern. Psychology, a broken cistern. Cultural theories, a broken cistern. They cannot nourish the Christian. They can't supplement the word. They can't supplement the work of Christ through these things that men have philosophized about. They have created to be on parallel terms with the Bible. And that's the way they are. If you don't think so, speak out against any of these. Who are you? Wait a minute. We've got to be like this. It's, it's, it's the most important thing right now in our lives, in our culture. No. What God says is the most important things in our lives, in our culture. And any teaching that assaults that, any teaching that assaults the sufficiency of God's word and the power of Christ's work, that teaching can only produce what we see in broken cisterns. It can only be a dangerous deception that will discourage and misdirect you in every way as a Christian. So we have to take the warning in Colossians 2 seriously and be on guard. Now go back to 2, Colossians 2, 8. Colossians 2, 8. Listen as I, I read 2.8, just the, the first part again. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, even empty deceit. I think here in, in 8a, God is warning us through the Apostle Paul that all extra biblical traditions, rituals, rites, revelations, they are built on a dangerous deception. They rely on deceptive manipulation. That's what he's saying, I think, here. In verse 8, he describes their teaching, as I said, as empty, empty deceit, meaning hollow. There's no substance to it. He's saying, look, these extra biblical traditions, and, and I'll unpack what that is in a few moments, and not, not now, we'll get to that. But these extra biblical traditions that were being taught to the Christians at Colossae, he says, they are fruitless. They are fruitless. They are useless. They are vain in God's sight because they can't do what only Christ's work could do. And God's work promises Christ will do in those who believe. They cannot. These traditions, these rules and regulations can't change the human heart. They cannot cleanse our hearts of sin. They cannot purify our minds. They cannot transform our motives. We need something much more radical much more radical than human rules and religion to do that. And that's what the true believer has by God's grace through the revelation of Christ and faith in his work. Colossians 2 verse 11. 
This is the power to change your motives, to change your desires, to cleanse your heart. In him, speaking of Jesus, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When Christ is being crucified, having been buried with him in baptism, it's what's displaying dying with Christ at the cross, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God through his resurrection, who raised him from the dead. He says, you, even you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. God did this work. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't get a special revelation that made you feel it. God did it when you were dead. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By laying them on Christ. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Christ was treated the way we ought to be treated for eternity at the cross. And through that, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ, in him. No manipulation, no deceptive teaching, no works based action can add one ounce to what Christ accomplished, what God did by his grace. Only God could do this. Only God could do this. And he promises that he did it and it was accomplished. He took he took sinners and he put us in union with Christ at the cross. Our sins were then imputed to Christ, though he was sinless. He paid the penalty in our place and was treated as sinful wretches. And in exchange, he put his righteous robes over us. The blood soaked righteousness of Christ now covers our sins. That's what transforms the heart. That's what changes the actions of your life. That's what leads to spiritual growth. Not more extra biblical revelations or traditions. We're given a new heart in Christ. We're empowered by his spirit. Now we do good works not to gain our salvation or even maintain God's favor on our lives. We, we do good works to reveal the fruit of Christ's accomplishment and his grace. And that fruit is evidenced in our union with him through his spirit working in us to produce what only God could produce, which is good works that honor Jesus. Ephesians, let's go over to Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, redeemed, um, rescued. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. That's not through my extra biblical revelations or traditions. No, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But notice this. We are going to work for we are his product, his poeme, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Those good works testify to the sufficiency of Christ's atonement. Those who have been saved by his grace will reflect their Savior's nature. They will reflect and rejoice in what God rejoices in. They will not live in sin any longer. They will repent constantly. And we do that until the day we are entering into glory. 
because we have a new heart that rules, regulations and mystical experiences cannot bring us. So back in Colossians 2, 8, I think Paul wants to to warn us to be be careful about such things that would try to detract from the sufficiency of God's word and the work of Christ. He's warning us about the danger of following these things, because those things only promise to make us holy on the outside. But they cannot do anything to change the inside. All they actually end up doing is creating and cultivating religious pride, self-righteousness within us. Hey, look, I go to church every Sunday. I don't miss any services. I read my Bible every day. I have devotions every hour. I don't do any of those things perfectly. So let me just make sure that I'm clear. You know, we begin to actually think that if I do all the right things, oh, God's going to look upon me with more grace. Saints, I'm going to tell you this. There's no more grace than you've already received in Christ for you. His Favor is on you fully because he's favoring the work of his son. And that will never diminish and that will never change, even though we fail. That is what we need to rest in, because that's God's revelation to us. But the false teaching, these things he's saying about them is they're they're empty and they're deceitful. They're they're base, they're fleshly. They want to boast in their abilities and their revelations. Well, Jesus had some harsh words to say to some people who had the same sort of mentality in Matthew 23. Some men who wanted to boast in their outward righteousness, their outward conformity to the rules, even the holy rules. But then they added to those rules to make sure we never even made a stumble on the real and deep abiding rule of God. And Jesus says, I want to I want to say something to you men. You scribes, you Pharisees. He's talking about the spiritual leaders in Israel. He said, you you know, verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humble. (laughs) And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, if you see yourself in light of God's holiness and the revelation of his his nature in Scripture, you're going to be humbled. But if you think that you're something, you think that by your works and by your outward appearance, that you're actually making God feel as if he owes you something, oh, you're, you're not going to be exalted. He's going to break you. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. So woe is, is a term that relates to basically almost parallel, not quite to damn you. You're undone. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites. Now, this is harsh language. Frauds. Deceitful ones. Woe to you, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. This is how wretched their deception is. They're not satisfied with their own outward self-righteousness. They want others to follow them and be their disciples more than they want them to follow God. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. This is gentle Jesus. Speaking with righteous indignation against false teachers. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. 
For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made God made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound to his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by an altar swears by it and and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and come in and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. See, they, they've got the outward appearance, but they don't have the hearts of Jesus. Justice and mercy, those are the things, and faithfulness that they're lacking. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Not just do the outward law-keeping. It should have been driven by this desire for justice and mercy and faithfulness. You blind guides. Straying out a gnat, swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is what we are to warn people against. Be on guard about people who come across like this. These these men are teaching things that are fleshly, base, deceitful, empty, they're seeking the praise of men for their self-righteous actions more than they are to honor God who gave them their laws. But inside, he says, they're full of corruption. They're like whitewashed tombs. And they, like the false teachers in Colossae, they thought that religious efforts made them acceptable to God. But he's saying here in these woes, and Paul's warning about this in chapter 2, that in reality... Those whitewashed tombs, those outwardly self-righteous people, they're only masking what's on the inside, which is deceitful and it's corrupt. And that's the way I would describe all false teaching. It is dangerous and it is deceitful. It's dangerous and deceitful because all false teaching holds out a promise that it cannot fulfill. It holds out a promise that cannot, it cannot fulfill because it undermines the only source of power that can transform our desires and conform us into Christ's likeness. It denies the power of God's Son and the promises of God's Word. And such teachings, we need to understand, and the claims of those who have these special revelations today, those things, you need to understand, are always an assault. They're an attack. On the sufficiency of God's word who gave us this to guide us, conform us and train us in righteousness. And they're an attack on the sufficiency of Christ's saving and sanctifying work that he gives us through his spirit. And these things must be confronted and these things must be corrected. Church, according to God's word, we are commanded in Colossians 2.8 to take any and all attacks 
on his word and the power of Christ works seriously. We must be constantly on guard against these things. Constantly on guard against anything that places human traditions or personal experiences above or equal in weight to the authority of Scripture. We are to be on guard against those. Because in reality, those things are a deceitful attack on the sufficiency of God himself and the power of Christ's saving work on the cross. And those teachings, we are told in Scripture, must not be tolerated. Titus. Chapter one, the letter written to guide pastors on how to protect and instruct the church and listen to what God, the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul about confronting and correcting those who would attack the sufficiency of God and his word and the work of his son. He doesn't allow any of it to be tolerated. In verse 9, speaking of the man of God, the overseer, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Nothing about human tradition, nothing about elementary principles. He's to do that so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, truth, and also rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Notice what he says. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They must be shut up and shut down because they are upsetting, upsetting God's people. They are dangerously deceiving them and leading them to discouragement. Leading them away from God's word and Christ's work, and they must be shut up. It's pretty serious language. I'm not sure we would get away with that on YouTube today. They would shut the channel down. But they cannot shut the word of God down. It's a serious thing, and it's something that is damaging to the Christian's walk in in so many ways. Not salvifically, but joyfully. So I think the last thing I want to get to, if I have time here, is in, in back in Colossians 2, 2, 8 again. I think this is why Paul warns us so seriously. And I think he says, look, these, these things are, are dangerous deceptions because they're built on human, extra biblical human traditions. But he also says these things are also built on elementary or worldly principles that 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 false teachers promote that can only lead to discouraging directions, not just deceitful and dangerous. They are discouraging because they they guide us in the wrong direction. They guide us to rely on human effort, but not on God's grace. And Paul says, be on guard against elementary principles of the world. He says that because all false teaching is built on human reason and prideful thinking. They're either inspired directly from Satan or they're indirectly inspired by the nature that dwells in man, the sin He says, watch out for these things. All these things are built on human reason and prideful thinking because these things are all built on the elementary principles of fallen men, not God's inerrant and holy word. Listen, we need to know this. I think we already do, but let's just reinforce it. All the world's religions teach that man can gain favor with God 
through their external obedience to rules and religious rituals. What Paul's saying is about these elementary principles is, is, look, this this is the way sinful fallen men, apart from the grace of God and the illumination of the spirit through the word. This is how fallen men find their ABCs to secure their salvation. It's through these elementary things. They think doing religious deeds, keeping the laws, these things will bring them security and salvation. See, these are ABCs. These are childish, useless. They'll misdirect you. God's word doesn't do that. God's word proclaims to us clearly that we don't need to keep certain rules or do certain things or have certain revelations in order for God's favor to set upon us. That's not at all how we achieve salvation or sanctification. God's word says that his favor falls upon us through faith in Christ's obedience and sacrifice, not our own, not our own. Matter of fact, in Colossians 2, 23, says those things who, that, that appear to be spiritual are in reality of no value at all. They have, hand, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They can't do it. But he says in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why are you trying to live like basically you're still alive in the world submitting to these things? You don't need those things. God has already favored you by faith in his son, his obedience, his sacrifice. That's what causes his favor to rest upon us. Not anything we do. It's a dangerous direction that they're taking you down. He's saying any any teaching that's not in line with the revealed truth that we see in God's word about Christ's all sufficient work and God's saving grace. He's saying all these things are nothing more than broken cisterns, the broken cisterns of man's selfish, self-righteous, prideful heart. And they can only lead Christians to discouragement. They can lead the lost to damnation. Since we have to be on guard against such teaching. Not because Satan can steal our salvation. That is not possible by God's grace through faith in Christ's atonement. Christ has finished the work in our place. He has secured for us eternity. Satan can't steal that from us. Christ has accomplished it in our place. We had nothing to do with it. He did it in our stead by becoming our substitute. So Satan can't steal our salvation. Why do we have to be on guard against these things? Well, here's why. We need to be on guard because false teaching can do something. It can. There is power in error. It can deceive. It can mislead. It can diminish your joy. It can rob you of assurance of your salvation by making you think that I don't know. I don't know if I've been. I don't know if I'm all that spiritual. I don't know if I've been all that faithful. I don't know that Christ's work and His Word is truly. I believe it's sufficient, but but I don't know. I got to do these things. That's what false teaching leads to. I, I, I sinned today. I got angry in traffic. I cursed. Oh God, I, I got to do something better now to kind of counteract that sin. Hmm. What do I do? Oh, I'll, I'll go out and evangelize. That'll balance the scales. That's Islam. It's not Christianity. 
it makes you doubt the sufficiency of Christ's work and the promises of God's word. It makes you think that you have to do something to obtain more of it rather than rest in it because of God's grace. That is an assault on the truth of salvation that God's revealed to us in Scripture. That's why we need to be on guard against it. But here's, here's where we get some implication from what we ought to do. How do we stay on guard? That's the question that should be in your mind. And I think you probably know somewhat. Here's how you stay on guard. You need biblical discernment. You need to cultivate biblical discernment. And that only comes to us through a tedious, normal process. That the Spirit will bless and encourage The only way you're going to gain biblical discernment is to be in the Bible. Study the word of God. Oh, it doesn't sound spiritual. It doesn't sound like it's something big. Church, God has spoken to us. He speaks. He works in our heart and we hear the Savior call us. The master directs us. He rebukes us. He corrects us. Those are the promises of Scripture. We need to be Feasting on the word of God, not just to discern error, but to know Jesus and to honor him as Lord and Savior. And listen, if you do that, if you spend the time in God's word to know him and to rejoice in him, you're going to quickly be able to develop something called discernment. You begin to actually tell the difference between what is true and almost true. You begin to do what Charles Spurgeon said. You'll be able to understand that discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. How do you get there? You spend time with the Lord. He is alive and he speaks to us through his word. I need no other revelations. I need no other teaching. I need no other experience. I have Jesus speaking directly to me without any doubt in his written revelation. Saints, that's what we need to help us be on guard. And anything that assaults that assaults him. The only way we can identify it is to spend time with him in it. Let me end with one more passage I want to read to you from, I'm sure you can guess where, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's the reason this biblical discernment will work when you spend time in God's word. Because God has promised us in his word That all we need is here to equip us as Christians on earth. The word of God is sufficient to do all that is necessary to grow spiritually, to protect us from sin, to guide us, to direct our actions. Look at verse 16. All scripture is theonoustos, breathed out by God. He says all scriptures then are profitable for teaching, for teaching doctrine, how to practically understand God. All scripture is profitable for reproof, for bringing conviction about sin in our life. All scripture is profitable for correction, to redirect us and restore us. And all scripture is profitable for for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Saints, the word of God alone 
is sufficient to do that. If you do not believe that, you will be a discouraged and deceived Christian. You will have your joy robbed from you, and you'll be doubting your assurance every day of your life. But when you rest in what God has revealed that he would do because of Jesus, we can have the word of God working in us by his spirit because Christ has made us alive by his death, by his resurrection. That way we now can do good works and rest in his teaching and reproof and correction and understand his training in righteousness. The word of God is sufficient. It is all we need to obtain life and direct us in godliness. It's all we need because God's word and Christ's work is all that is needed to nourish and direct those who are made alive by the Spirit. And God's word and his work in Christ is all that is needed to call the spiritually dead to eternal life. I'm thinking if if God's word and Christ's work can do the greatest of miracles, I'm sure I need nothing else. It is more than sufficient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the things that we read in your word, we, 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 we see promises, we see corrections, we see directions and instruction. But these things pale in comparison to the reason we can actually follow them, which is Christ, who came to take our place, to unite us to yourself, to put your spirit within us so that we could do good works out of the joy of our salvation, out of the assurance of Christ's sacrifice in our place, not to ever obtain it or maintain it. Please guard us against any thinking, any philosophy, any empty deceit that would try to lead us away from assurance in your revelation and in the work of your Son. Help us today, by your grace, to have our hearts and minds conformed and renewed daily through your word. In Christ's name I pray.